We're going to land the plane today, Lord willing. I'd like to mention that in the back there is a booklet called More Than Conquerors. It is a prayer guide as we think about an upcoming election and how we can pray, especially as we think about the issue of abortion. And uh, the, the uh, foreword in it is by Alistair Begg. Um, we have several copies back there, so if you want to pick one of those up, it's just a, a study guide to help you as we think about an election and praying together. So you might want to pick one of those up. We are delighted uh, today to have Spurgeon with us. Uh, Spurgeon is in the house somewhere. And uh, we rejoice and thank the Lord for the birth of Spurgeon Charles Moore. I've already asked him to preach. He's not quite ready yet, but uh, I look forward to a day maybe that will be the case. would also like to say, uh, appreciate those who have asked about our daughter, Kara, was in a car wreck this week on Glenway. She was T-boned. And uh, we are thankful that she is okay. Totaled her car, um, but we are so grateful to God for his kindness, his mercy, and protection upon her. She's a little bruised and hurting, but she's, she's doing okay. So we thank the Lord for that. And uh, as we come to the word of God this morning, will you please join me in a word of prayer? Our Lord and our God, we come into your presence this morning. It's been our privilege to speak about and sing about the one who is the very son of God and the very son of man. Inasmuch as we partake of flesh and blood, the Lord Jesus Christ has partaken of the same so that he might redeem and to save his people from their sins who have held, been held in bondage to fear, the fear of death. We thank you for Jesus Christ who is the victor who has blazed the trail of life before us and we follow in his train. And we're able to say, blessed assurance, if we be in Christ, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We come before you again with humble, grateful hearts for your mercy, for your kindness and your grace to us. We thank you that, Lord, you have saved us, not according to our works, but according to your own purpose and grace that has been granted to us in the name that is above every other name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you and we give you praise. Thank you that out of the fullness of Christ, again this week, we have received, not what we deserve, but we have received grace upon grace. Thank you for the treasure chest of spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. And we just sang that it is Jesus who makes the woeful heart to sing. We're so thankful in a fallen, broken world where there is trial and tribulation and difficulty. We are thankful that, Lord Jesus, you make the woeful heart to sing. We come here today to worship you, to give glory, and to give praise and honor to you. And Lord, today, as we think of this world in which we live, a, a broken world, we're mindful of the events there in the Middle East and Israel. And Lord, it is our prayer today that you would give help to believers living both in the Gaza Strip and also in Israel. 
will give help to them, and it would be our prayer that through this, the light of the gospel may go forth there in the midst of some very severe and difficult things. We also would pray for those who have been taken hostage. We pray for their protection and pray for their release. Pray for wisdom for our own leaders, military leaders, and those in Israel. Lord, your word says, Woe to those who devise iniquity and plan evil on their beds, and in the morning light they practice it. Lord, we pray for just your intervention there in that situation. Give help, grace, and it is our prayer that, again, the gospel would go forth there. Lord, today we thank you for the birth of Spurgeon. We're thankful that he's able to be with us here today. And we pray you will continue to help Ashley and strengthen her. I do thank you today for preserving Kara and through this accident that she had. We are so grateful to know that our life is in your hands. Lord, you're working all things together for your people, and, and we thank you for that. Lord, this morning we think of our Bible conference to begin next weekend. We pray for our brother Bob Snyder as he comes, as he has made months of preparation. And we ask that you would be pleased to bless the preaching of your word as we do an overview of the book of Romans, a wonderful, wonderful truths about the gospel of how in grace you justify ungodly sinners through the work of Christ. And so we ask that you would Bless our weekend together. May we purpose to come together and meet with one another to hear your word. Lord, we think of an election that is coming up, and we think particularly of an issue that is seeking to put into our Constitution um, the right to an abortion, to, 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 to kill babies in the womb. And Lord, it is our prayer that this would be overturned. We pray that you would just uh, have mercy upon our not only our state, but our nation. These are very barbaric acts, and we ask that you would have mercy upon us. Lord, we thank you now for your word. We ask for grace and help as we open the scriptures together, both in the preaching of it and the hearing of it. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we know that the preaching of your word is vain apart from your spirit, taking the things of Christ and showing them to us. Might you be pleased to do that today. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Follow, if you will, in the scriptures as I want to begin reading at verse 7. We're going to finish this uh, section here. We're in the main body of this little letter, the second shortest of the New Testament, where John now has turned his attention to Warn about many deceivers who have gone out into the world. Here's a call to the church to be discerning about these false teachers. So I'll pick it up at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. 
He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Last week we began to look at this second half of the main body of this letter that John is writing. And here he is giving, again, warnings concerning those who are peddling heresy. And this is a present reality, for John says that many deceivers, they've already gone out into the world. Jesus warned that they would come. John says they're here. And so he's writing to these, his children in the, fle- in the, in the spirit or in Christ, and he's writing to warn them of this present reality. And how will we know what these false teachers, how will we know these false teachers? Well, you can have a test by which you can see if they are a true follower and teacher of Christ or not. And the issue is, what do they say about Jesus Christ? What do they say about his identity, his nature, who he is, or his work? Because those go together, the work of Christ, the person of Christ. And we see the test that is given in verse 7. He says, if they do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, so they deny the incarnation, a very important New Testament teaching, that the very Son of God became a man. We quoted that in the Apostles' Creed, that he became a man. And those two natures joined together, the divine and the human nature joined in one person, Jesus Christ. It is a great mystery, indeed, but it is a glorious and wondrous truth that God's God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped across the stars, came into our world, was made like us in order to redeem us. And even today, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he yet retains that human nature. And we will see him one day. So John is giving this warning. He has been talking in these earlier verses. He says, I rejoice to see your children walking in the truth. And then he calls them to love one another and to keep the commandments of Christ. This is what it is to love one another by doing what Christ has commanded us to do. And now John is giving a warning. All right, be careful. As you are on this path seeking to live a righteous life, follow In the footsteps of Christ, be aware of this, that there are those who will seek to detract you away from that path, from following faithfully to Christ. And so here is this warning that is given. So we looked uh, last week at, then secondly, John's instructions to these believers. In light of these false teachers, he gives them, first of all, a call to be watchful and persevering. Be watchful. This is an important word in the Bible. We talked about this last week, but just a review here quickly. He says in verse 8, look to yourselves. Jesus often was saying things like this to his disciples. 
he was saying things like, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. Watch and pray that no one leads you astray. You need to be awake. You need to be alert. Peter says we have an adversary. Be, be alert and awake because we have an adversary who is like a roaring lion who would love to destroy you. And so be alert. Be sober. Paul says to Timothy, keep watch over yourselves and over your doctrine. So this is important for us as believers. So there is this warning to, to look to yourself, guard yourself, guard your mind, guard your heart. And then verse 9, there's a call to persevere, to abide in Christ. Verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. All right? if, if you reject the doctrine and the teaching of who Christ is, his person, his work, you, you do not have God. You're not a true believer. You're not one who is united and reconciled to God. But he goes on to say, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and he has the Son. And so here is this call, whoever transgresses, and this word has this idea of going ahead of. The NIV and the ESV, I think, translate this, whoever runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. It goes beyond apostolic truth. It goes beyond what has been revealed in the word of God. And you go beyond that. You go beyond this Jesus of the scripture and you do not have God. So the, the warning is, sound, uh, is given here. Don't go beyond Jesus Christ. This is what the false teachers had done. They had, be, they had gone beyond what Jesus had revealed through his apostles and they had rejected that. And so he says they have neither the Father nor the Son. So the call is given for us not to go beyond the boundaries that had been set by the apostles and the word of God, but abide in Christ. Abide in the doctrine that you have received through the apostles. And John is one of those apostles who's been writing about this Jesus that he has seen and heard and touched. And he says, abide in him, continue in him, that's another important word in the New Testament. Persevere, abide, be steadfast, cling to Christ. As I was thinking of that this week, I was thinking about the story of Ruth and Naomi. You remember that Naomi told her daughter-in-law to go back home. She has nothing for her. Her husband's died. Her husband has died. Just go back to your own people. And you remember the response of Ruth. Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people and your God will be my God. I'm sticking with you, Naomi. And this ought to be our attitude. Lord Jesus, we are sticking with you. We are abiding with you. Wherever you go, we're going. We're following in your footsteps. And so here's the call to be self-watchful but also to persevere, to abide in Christ. May God, by his grace, enable us to be such people as that, staying near to Christ, staying near to the revelation that has given to us in the word of God and not going outside the boundaries of what God has given us in his word. So continue watching, continue abiding. Don't turn aside. Don't be naive. 
Uh, don't turn away. Don't turn back. And now we want to come to the point that I didn't get to last week, and, and I've entitled the sermon this week, Heresy and Hospitality. So what do we do when we have these false teachers that might come and come knocking on our door? What are we to do? And so we see in verses 10 and 11 here, John calls them to be discerning and don't enable. Be discerning and don't enable. In verse 10, it says, if anyone comes to you, the anyone is in the context, these false teachers. Verse 7, those who are deceivers, those who are antichrists. These are the ones he is referring to here in verse 10. So if any of these come to you, and John's expecting they're probably going to show up, and maybe they already have, but if anyone comes to you, I need to point out the word you here is in the plural in the Greek. And I believe this is really a reference to the people of God or the church to whom John is writing this letter. We've already talked about that. This elect lady and her children may well be a reference to a church. And it's described as this elect lady and her children or her members. And so now John says, if anyone comes to you, to your church, to you and your people, and does not bring this doctrine... All right, this doctrine concerning orthodoxy about who Jesus is, that he is the son of God who came into the world, who was, took him to himself a human nature, joined together with a divine nature. If they do not preach this doctrine, here's the instruction. Do not receive him into your house nor greet him. So if they come, one of the things you need to be, first of all, aware of is to be discerning. Be discerning about this. So as we think about this, um, we see here the particular uh, application that John is making to this church, to these people. First of all, you need to be discerning. And we need to understand, as we think about the importance of Christian hospitality that we find in the New Testament, it helps us to understand a little bit about what John's getting at here. In the first century, there were many commands that were given through the apostles about hospitality, about loving our neighbor, about loving others. And so this is an important truth in the New Testament. One of the, one of the responsibilities of an elder, qualifications of an elder or bishop, is that they must be given to hospitality. And this word means the lover of strangers. I've, I've often had people... With, that are not Christians, when I talk to them, and I've said, you know, we've had so-and-so came from, we didn't even know them, they came in to stay with us. You had somebody in your house you didn't even know? I said, yeah, we we do that a lot, yeah. And that was a very strange concept. So here's this idea of a lover of strangers. In 1 1 Timothy 5.10, talks about widows that are to be supported by the church, and there are qualifications that are given if they are to be supported, and one of them is that they have lodged strangers. In Romans 12 that Gary made reference to, there it says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 that Gary read for us, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
This is a Christian virtue. This is something we ought to be striving for, to be people who are hospitable, that we have things that God has given us that we can use to help and serve other people. Hebrews 13.2 says, Let brotherly love continue, and do not forget to entertain strangers. And so as we think about that, this is a stewardship that God has given to us. He has entrusted many things into our hands. We have a house, maybe. We have a car. We have financial resources. We have things by which we can do good to others. And this really is a stewardship. These things are not ours. They are things that God has entrusted to us to use for his glory and his honor. Hebrews 13, 6 says, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. We want to please God, don't we? Well, here's an opportunity to do that. God has entrusted things to us. We can do good with that. We can share with others. And God is well pleased with these sacrifices. So in the first century, hospitality was especially important. Because there were, you know, they had a, a Roman, Roman network of Rome, uh, roads by which they could travel easily, but there were not nice hotels that we enjoy, places that you would feel comfortable staying at. Many of them were uh, very unclean. Um, now, we do have some of those in our day as well. My wife never lets me forget the $50 hotel room that I found when we were on our way to Tennessee. Uh, it wasn't the cleanest place, but it was cheap. But anyway, hotels in those days, or these inns that w- were somewhat common, they didn't have the modern comforts that we have, and they were typically unclean, and they were often associated with uh, prostitution. Um, so traveling Christians, what they would often do is, as they were traveling, they would find a church. They would find brothers and sisters who would be willing to have them, to put them up so that they were not endangered or had to stay in one of these places. But it was also true for the apostles. It was also true for evangelists and missionaries as they would be traveling, that they would come to a church and that members of the church would open their homes to them and welcome them into their home and put them up and care for them as they were there either traveling or they came to minister. This was Paul's experience. He talks about it in Romans 16, 23. He said, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greet you. He's writing back to the church at Rome, and he says, Gaius greets you. And great Gaius has put me up in his home. And in fact, it seems that his home was where the church met. This was common in the first century. It was they had house churches, and people would open their homes up. They would have believers come to their homes And they would worship there. And so this was a common experience that Christians would show hospitality. Now here in this context, these who are coming to you are those who are deceivers. John's concern is, as he writes this, he's he's already told him back in verse 5 that they're to love one another and they're to be hospitable. It has the idea in the word to love. And such hospitality could open itself up to abuse. Here are false teachers who are coming to your town. 
they're posing as if they're followers of Jesus, posing as if they are true teachers of Jesus, and as if they are Christians. And they have maybe a lot of credentials behind their name. So they show up at the church and they say, you know, we're here. Could you put us up? And they really have a mission in mind. They're coming to deceive. So that's what's behind this. So hospitality was something common done by the Christian church. Here are these false teachers that are coming in. They've got their false teaching and they're looking for a place to stay. They're looking for a place where they can begin to teach their false doctrine. And so there is the need to be discerning. And this test must be applied. Okay, before we just take you in and receive you as a brother or a sister in Christ, we want to know, what do you believe about the doctrine of Jesus Christ? You're coming here to teach us? Well, what do you believe about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we need to be discerning concerning these who would come. Do you believe that he is the incarnate son of God or do you have another Jesus, another gospel? So be discerning. Don't be gullible, I think John is saying, because these are core doctrines of the Christian faith. Now John is not talking about secondary issues and maybe that, are, that, that do not relate to the gospel or Jesus Christ. They may be some other secondary matters that we may have differences on as Christians. He's not saying, well, don't accept them into your home. But he's talking about those things that are at the very core of what the doctrine of the gospel is. So be discerning. Don't be gullible. And also don't enable them. Don't enable them. Here is the one verse in all of the New Testament, about the exception of Christian hospitality. And that is, John says, if these come to you and they're false teachers, you're not to receive them into your home. You're not to welcome them as a brother or sister in Christ. You're not to give them a means by which they are able to peddle, again, their false doctrine. So don't let them into your house. Don't receive them as you would an emissary of Christ or an apostle or a Christian missionary. Don't enable them in any way in their deceitful mission. And he even says in verse 11, don't greet him. And the idea here, I think this word idea of greet, to greet them means to rejoice or to be filled with joy. We might say something like, God speed to you as if he's a brother of Christ. The Lord bless you, brother. Don't greet them in that way. They're not a brother. Do not greet them as you would a Christian brother or sister. Now, all this may have seemed counterintuitive to some Christians who were so used to opening their home up to, to people to come and stay with them. But John warns them, don't, don't do this in this case with these who are peddling a false message. So don't receive him into your house as you would a true teacher. Don't provide comfort and encouragement to him as you would a true teacher. Don't provide financial support to him as you would a true teacher or missionary. Don't provide a base of operation for him 
by, by providing hospitality for him in your home. Do not feed them or put them to, uh, give them a place to, to sleep, which this is a means to help them in what they're seeking to do, which is contrary to the gospel. Don't provide him a badge of respectability and implied endorsements by the way that you greet him. And don't encourage or enable him in his mission in any way. This hospitality is tied to enabling a false teacher to peddle a false message that is opposed to King Jesus. And so John says, don't do this. Don't enable them in any way. And notice he says in verse 11, to do so, to greet them and to welcome them as if they are a brother, you're really participating in what he refers to as their evil deeds. You're an enabler. You're helping them. And you must not do this. So I think we need to see that this is the context in which John is writing here. This is the immediate practical issue at hand. You're not to endorse these false teachers at all. Now, I think we could say this, that maybe you have a neighbor who does not hold to the gospel. Maybe they're a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon who deny the things that the scripture teaches about the person and the work of Christ. Their house burns down. They need a place to stay. Would you welcome them in your house? I think John would say that that is fine to give aid to them, to support them in their time of need. But you don't support them in terms of helping to promote their gospel. So this word by Albert Barnes I think is helpful. He says this, This cannot mean that no acts of kindness in any circumstances were to be shown to such persons, but, there, that, that, but that there was to be nothing done which could be fairly construed as encouraging or countenancing them as religious teachers. We are not to aid their instruction. We are not to receive them into our houses or to entertain them as religious teachers. We are not to commend them to others or to give them any reason to use our, name, our names or influence in propagating air. So here's the call that is given to the church to guard carefully the truth of the gospel, contend earnestly for it, and do not do anything that would encourage or enable someone who opposes that gospel. So I think that's a direct application, but I think there is a, a broader application that we can make for ourselves. And it's a little more personal, and it's this that we must remove all deceiving influences from our lives. We must remove all, all deceiving influences from our life. If we follow the flow of John's little epistle, he, he, he says, if being a disciple of Christ means that a man is to walk in a unique path, is to walk in the truth, and if there are deceivers trying to disorient the disciples of Christ to not walk in the truth, which is the case here, and if the disciple is aware of these deceivers because he's watching for them, as John warns them, then the disciple 
must take concrete steps not to let the deceivers sideline them from walking in the truth. Be aware, be discerning in your own life. Now, maybe we would not welcome someone that we know is clearly teaching against the doctrine of Christ and the gospel. But we need to understand there are other influences that affect us. Is this not true? These false teachers, they were strong influencers, seeking to influence the people that they were talking to. And we as Christians have a lot of people out there that are seeking to influence us. A lot of it comes by way of the internet, by our TVs, by our radios, where very subtly there are those who seek to influence us to become like the world around them. They may not outright be speaking heresy concerning Jesus Christ, but they are influencers that can have an influence upon our life, upon our thinking, upon how we view the world in which we live. And so I think as we think about this, we might ask this question of ourselves: Well, I don't listen to false teachers. I turn them off. I don't watch them on YouTube. But we need to be aware that there are ways in which the world can influence us. And we might ask ourselves today, Who is influencing me? Who am I listening to? Who has my ear? I was reading, I think it was a poll by Barna that said something about there are only 4% of this poll that they took of Americans who had what they referred to as a biblical world view. 4% and 60% say they are Christians in America. But only a very small percentage would be viewed as having a biblical worldview. In other words, they look at the world through the lens of Scripture, that they look at the world around them based upon what God's Word says. I was blessed yesterday after our camp out. I took Bentley and uh, his brother Carson home. And on the way home, I I was asking them about worldview because they're studying that in school. And I was asking them various things about what a biblical worldview would include, what, what's involved in that. I was very encouraged by their answers, by the way. They did a very good job at answering that. And in their little young lives, they are forming, by the grace of God, a worldview that looks at the world based upon the Scripture. And we have to be very careful as Christians because unknowingly sometimes the world is shaping the way we look at the world. It is shaping our values. It is shaping what we think is in, should be important to us. And so Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are affected by the world in which we live. We have to be very careful and discerning in terms of who we are listening to Who is shaping our worldview? Is it God and his word? Or is it the world very subtly drawing us in to think, to act, and to live as they do? So here's the call to fight for faith. Fight for faith. Stay 
faithful to Christ. And Paul says it is a fight. This is not something that's going to happen casually. This is something that we must fight for. Fight for faith and fight for truth. May God enable us by his grace to do so. Well, we're going to end. Verses 12 and 13 is John's farewell. He says, I have many things I want to write to you, but I do not wish to do so with paper and ink. I want to come, and I want to face-to-face. I want to be able to talk with you more about these things, about Christ, about the gospel. And I think there's a word for us here, just that we need to speak the word of God to one another, don't we? This needs to be a part of our conversations as Christians, not just talking about the weather and sports or whatever. We need to be speaking truth to one another. And then I love this statement Paul, John says. He says that, uh, I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy, that our joy may be full. Do you realize that, believer, that if you're in Christ, that God wants you to be full of joy, to know the joy that comes through Jesus Christ, the joy of the gospel. Paul, when he was writing in 2 Corinthians 1, he said concerning his apostolic ministry, I'm not seeking to have dominion over you. We are fellow workers for your joy. What an amazing statement. I'm a fellow worker for your joy. I want you to know joy. John began, First John, in that way, writing these things to you that you may have joy. And Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, I'm hard-pressed between the two, to depart and be with the Lord or to remain on, to give help and aid to you. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy of faith. Does that describe us today? Does that describe me, that I am a Christian who is joyful, that my life is marked by being joyful? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Does that describe me? Well, the gospel has been given to us. Christ has been given to us so that we might be those who are full of joy. So John says to us, brothers and sisters, walk in the truth. Walk in love. Walk in the commandments that Christ has given to you and don't be drawn off course. Abide in Christ. Abide in the doctrine of Christ. That you may grow in grace. That you may become more and more like Christ. And that you may know more and more of the joy of Christ. Well, I pray this little book will be of help to us. And Lord willing, in a few weeks, we'll get to Third John and we'll be looking at that. I invite you as we close this morning to turn, if you will, to the one hymn we sang, number 88. Fairest Lord Jesus, and we're just going to sing the last verse. Fairest Lord Jesus, this is the Jesus that is presented to us by John, this beautiful Savior, the Lord of the nations. Let's stand together as we sing.
and we'll sing just verse 4.